Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today we're talking energy and industrials. It is Thursday, the 22nd of March, and we're going to be talking about tariffs. I'm your host, Sarah Priestley, and joining me in the studio is Molly Fool contributor Dan Klein. Dan, thank you for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. All the way from Florida. <laughs> you got to do something about the weather next time. It's <laughs> very cold here. I'll see what I can do. Yeah, I'm sure that was a big shock. Um, I think we could all use some Florida weather. I was going to say, there's cameras and you know recording stuff in Florida. We could absolutely <laughs> do it down there. Uh, full, full Florida. I'll, I'll make the pitch. Um, so yeah, we're going to be talking about tariffs today. Uh, obviously, it's been a big part of the news for the last month. President Trump announced uh, that there will be a tariff of 25% on imported steel, 10% on imported aluminium. Um, and it's caused a bit of a frenzy. There's a lot of politicians unhappy about it, a lot of industry uh, experts unhappy about it. Uh, his own economic advisor quit uh, rather than give his the decision his support. Um, steel industry is kind of the only <laughs> fairly happy party about <laughs> well, all this. It's a typical Donald Trump negotiating tactic. Basically, diplomacy is we both talk, we may discuss what we could do to each other, but you work on a compromise and it all happens behind the scenes. The Trump tactic is more to say, here is the penalty, come to me and negotiate a deal to get rid of the penalty. Mm-hmm. It's yep. effective in real estate. I'm not so sure it's going to be effective on the global stage. We shall see. Yeah, uh, Imported steel makes up about a third of the 100 million tons of uh, steel used in the US each year and 90% of aluminum used. Um, so it was all started, the Department of Commerce, if in case anybody is interested in the background, <laughs> the Department of Commerce conducted an investigation. Uh, they sent several recommendations to President Trump, which included, in its most extreme, the suggestion of a 7.7% tariff on aluminium, 24% tariff on steel, um, and levies the accusation of dumping on China specifically, which we've heard before, and this has kind of all come about from the 2014-2015 surge uh, that we saw in steel from China. Uh, so the presentation of this from the Department of Commerce was that this is an issue of national security. And that is how uh, they have been able to pass this. It's because there's a loophole. Um, they could enact this using provision from 1962 trade law, um, which kind of opens us up to <laughs> questions and, on well, this is precedent. A, too. This, is, this isn't atypical. In the last you know 10 years or nine years between the previous administration and this one, Finding back doors to pass policy has been an easier path than trying to get things through oppositional Congress. Mm-hmm. And it's weird to think that a Republican Congress would be oppositional to a Republican president. But obviously, if you're in uh, up in Pennsylvania, it's very different, a steel tariff, compared to if you're in California, where there that's where a lot of it is being dropped off and a lot mm-hmm. of it is being used. So this was really the only way this could get done, is to find you know what is essentially a loophole. Yes. Um, and you know the consensus on this has been very negative. A lot of people are not happy. Uh, but it's important to note tariffs can work, um, and they have provided protection in the past for a few vulnerable companies or a vulnerable industry. Uh, they do come with a lot of costs and risks, and we're going to be talking about those. Um, so, Dan, outline for us simply, what do you think uh, the President Trump is trying to achieve with this? Um, you know, not to be too disparaging of the president, but he likes to make bold proclamations and he likes to be the guy in charge. So he's not the kind of person that's going to go into a back room with a bunch of Chinese diplomats and work out a sort of quiet, I'll give you this if you give us that. He wants to be the winner here. So this is a very pro wrestling, you know, tactic of, of making your threats and then, you know, seeing if you can back them up. And 
you know, arguably he's trying to protect American jobs, but realistically, he's just trying to win. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he signed the tariff, he said, steel is steel. You don't have steel and you don't have a country. Uh, and he's right. To a certain extent, steel is very, very important for so much stuff. <laughs> it, it, it is. And you don't want to drive the, the U.S. steel business out of business. On the other hand, when you raise the price of something, I mean, you know, we all we all saw the Commerce Secretary holding a, a Budweiser can or a can and saying, well, it's only two tenths of a, a cent. Uh, so it won't change the price of a can of beer. It might change the price of a steel anything. Like, you know, there's not a lot of little steel things. Steel tends to be very big. So you take a 25% tariff over, you know, anything, a steel building, uh, you know, a steel plane, uh, whatever it is, and you're going to, well, of course, a plane would not be mostly steel. That would be a very heavy plane. And it's going to translate into protection for these companies at the expense of American taxpayers. Yeah, and and the Commerce Secretary was... uh accused of this, he's accused of kind of attacks on the average American, and he said the impact will be trivial. He said there's about a ton of steel in a car. The price of a ton of steel is about $700 or so. That's unprocessed, I think. Uh, So 25% on that would be half of 1% increase on a typical $35,000 car. But that's still uh, half of a percent. Yeah, and it's a half of a percent across all the steel things you buy. Yes. And, you know, even things like a building. When when they build a new you know thirty story housing development, that's a significant amount of money that adds to that cost. So this isn't trivial, and the people who support this tend to be the same ones who are against agricultural subsidies to keep American farms afloat. This is really just doing the same thing in reverse. Um, one of the uh, there's a couple of reasons uh, mostly people are against this. One is jobs. Uh, so obviously the reason that this has been put forth is that it's going to save a lot of steel jobs. Um, however, it's predicted, uh, some have predicted that it would lead to a net job loss, essentially, because other industries are going to see price incline uh, increases. Uh, you've also got construction where they may put off some development projects. And there's going to be retaliation. You know, one in four Boeing planes go to China. China could easily decide to slow down those orders, to buy them someplace else, to, you know, they're... Other countries aren't just going to say, "Oh, hey, there's a tariff now. Now I just won't sell stuff to America." Like it, it's, you know, there's absolutely going to be jobs lost yeah. in the shipping business and in all the trades that make things with steel. Absolutely. So we're kind of waiting to see um, the reaction. We've seen we've seen some claims. Um, a, a, claim about the soybean uh, exports that we we uh, give to China too. Um, but a lot of this kind of invokes a memory of protectionist measures that have been taken before that haven't been successful. So I think that there was a steel protection between 68 and 84. It didn't modernize the industry and it continued to decline. And the reason, um, the key thing about a lot of these uh, tra- trade tariffs and trade protection measures is not so much, um, is not so much the end goal as to you know, save jobs, but also to allow the industry some breathing room to modernize and to become more efficient. And therefore, when the end of the tariffs, they are in a better position to compete. Um, George W. Bush also briefly imposed a 30% tariff on steel in 2002. Uh, That got overturned by the World Trade Organization. And this could happen (laughs) in this instance, too. Um, But yeah, overall, there's a lot of negativity. I'm not sure he has any intent of this being a long-term tariff. I mean, I think we really have to think about, yes, he may implement it out of spite because people 
say he shouldn't. But the reality is, it is a negotiating tactic, and we are starting to see a little bit of thawing with you know saying, well, maybe Canada, maybe Mexico. You know, there, there can be long-term exceptions to this, and I imagine with China something will happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Canada and Mexico, he's he's basically said they're exempt. I think we get 25% of imports uh, from our neighbours and it would not be wise to kind of irritate uh, both of those. Um, so, Dan, you're more likely to be heard on our tech and CG shows. <laughs> that, um, that is true. We have, we've never done one of these no, before. No, we haven't. But uh, you kind of have a personal experience or unique insight into the industry because of a formal life. So, sure. tell us so, about that. So, my family owns a ladder and scaffolding company. And for four years, I ran a factory and was involved with with our other factories. And when we made steel scaffolding in New Hampshire, and when we made a steel scaffolding frame in New Hampshire, and I'm going to round off all the numbers just to make it easy, it, a, a, t- a typical six foot frame might cost a hundred dollars on a wholesale basis. Maybe it cost us sixty five to make it. So we could import from China the same frame for maybe $30 and sell it for 60 So we would make U.S. product, but we couldn't sell any of it in the U.S. No, You can't walk into some place and say, I have something that's twice as expensive and 10% better. That's not a good. We would use that in our own rental inventory because you know you say steel is steel. Steel is not steel. The, the, the steel made, made in America, bought here, would hold up longer. Now you look at it and say, okay, with this tariff, the Chinese scaffolding frame is going to be more expensive, but not so much more expensive that it doesn't make sense that it makes sense to buy the US one. So in terms of a company like my my family business, my former company, they are now gonna still import steel. They're just gonna have to charge more for it or make less money on it. So it becomes a tax on the construction industry. And the same thing with with aluminum. We used to make, or they still make, aluminum stages, all different sizes. You'd have to place your order for them to sit on this aluminum, not knowing what size you'd want to cut it to. So it made sense to buy that in the US because, you know, changing demand, you had a little bit of pricing flexibility based on how quickly you could get it out. But if somebody said, I need a thousand seven foot scaffold planks three months from now, you might be able to order the same thing in China and just make more money on it. So you're going to see that you know the prices go up and you know it's it's not the the latter company that's going to make more money. It's the aluminum companies and the steel companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're already starting to see steel futures up about seven percent this year. Um, and it's, I think it's important to note the this tariff particularly. I think it deals with unfinished products. Uh, but you're right, construction like construction rebar, uh, things that people don't think about that go into making these huge complexes that we're starting to see up, go up in urban areas. Um, you know, reurbanization is huge. There is so much building going on. Um, and for a normal family house, you're probably talking one percent or half a percent of steel content. For uh, these big sky rises, it's a huge. Uh, percentage increase. It's like we talked about earlier with cars. It's going to hit you so many places you're not aware of it. I don't think you walk through the city and think, that's made of steel? That's made of aluminum? That's not how people process. But these are going to be direct increases. And with what you talked about, about investment before, if the steel industry was coming out and saying, we're going to spend the next year modernizing our factories, doing everything we can to take cost out of you know, producing steel, then this might make sense. But as we've seen with the tax cuts, 
most of this money, the extra money they make, will get returned to shareholders. Will get it's not going to workers and it's not going to modernization. And I know I'm speaking very broadly, but I have not seen any pledges for that type of thing to be happening. Well, not within this industry. We've definitely seen like some of the techs giving you know thousand dollar bonuses. To... Yeah, but those are smoke screens. I mean, if you look at companies that are you know, I read the earnings reports for all of the the various retailers, and they're reporting you know pretty significant. I mean, Sears, which would have lost $600 million, made money last quarter because of the tax change. Okay, they just needed to keep the lights on. But <laughs> Walmart giving workers a dollar raise is really just so they don't look too evil in keeping all the money from this. Okay, so we we want to kind of have a balanced discussion on this because there is so much negativity, negativity out there. So we kind of want to talk about a couple of tariffs that have worked. Uh, one most notably being Harley Davidson in the early '80s. They were facing really tough competition from cheap Japanese imports. Um, Reagan enacted a really swift and very focused tariff, uh, 49% falling to 4% over five years, um, and this essentially gave Harley Davidson. Time to reorganize and improve efficiency. And if you translated this to the steel industry, uh, the big ticket item to watch is their capacity utilization. If they could improve capacity utilization. I think it's already up uh, over last year by about 4%. Um, we could start to see um, those efficiency gains. And that's certainly what you hope happens, and that, that this is really just a stall tactic, because the last thing we want to see in the United States is us lose the capacity to create things that we need. You know, that obviously becomes an issue in times of, of political strife, of, of war, in war. Um, so propping these industries up does make sense as long as that's what they do. And you know, the examples of tariffs working are all tied to companies that, that needed breathing room, as you said earlier. Here, I'm not sure any of that was was thought out. You know, So, hopefully, the industry will take it as what it is and realize that this is not a forever tax. Yes, it's an opportunity, essentially. Yeah, and, and the thing is, as soon as you mention protectionist measures, people get very um, angry. Uh, but the thing is, we there are they are enacted across the world, and we probably don't even realize it. American farmers exporting to the EU, they face a 14% tariff. That's three times what it is in reverse. We, we were actually on the writing side of things, looking at doing, like, these are the, the tariffs that are in effect now. That you don't even know about. It's yeah. so big that you can't even penetrate the list. I mean, mm -hmm. there's, you know, it, down to very specific things like we've talked about before, you cannot import chocolate from England. Mm -hmm. Like finished Cadbury, such a you shame. have to make it here. It's a protection. <laughs> it, it is such a shame. It's a protectionism measure to keep the factories here going, mm -hmm. and it's a different recipe, and yes, it's much better in England. But there's tariffs in all sorts of areas, but this is very public, and what you have to worry about is reprisal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as you rightly pointed out, if the goal is, I mean, the president said a strong steel and aluminium industry are vital to our national security. If the goal is national security, if it's that we can build planes and ships in the event of a national emergency, um, that's a well-defined objective. If, however, it's to improve U.S. manufacturing jobs, a lot of other stuff has to happen <laughs> before that can be realized. You know, the dollar has to fall further. U.S. consumers have to stop buying so much imported stuff. And the reality is, if the steel industry does invest, they will probably need less people. Fa factories, the more they are automated, the better they produce. So, and there's a huge investment and upfront cost in doing that. So, if the steel industry was really doing everything right, they would be looking at how they can take people out of the process. So, this is not a job protection measure. It really is an industry protection measure. Mm -hmm. 
Yep, and you know uh, we import so much stuff. There's a lot of other countries. If you take like Japan, China, Germany, they save so much more. They buy so much less. And I think you've really got to have a big cultural shift、um, before people kind of change their way of thinking.、Um, so obviously we've touched on some countries,、uh, some companies, sorry, that are going to be affected by this and industries. Steel, very happy.、Uh, it's been hailed by a lot of steel executives and union leaders. They've promised new investment and restarting mothballed mills.、Um, it's it's like we said. It's it's yeah. <laughs> it's how well wealth targeted that is. So U.S. Steel, their ticket is X. They're up ten percent year to date.、Uh, they're reopening one of two idled Granite City blast furnaces in Illinois.、Uh, Newcor ticker NUE. They're up five percent. They've said tariffs will pave the way for their own expansion plans, and then they've kind of followed this up, announcing that they're building a new mill in your state, Florida,、uh, which would employ about 250 people. Now, Nucor uses electric arc mini mills,、uh, which are easy to kind of switch on and switch off.、Right. Um, so they're bound to be a lot more competitive. Whereas you've got AK Steel, who's they fell, I think they fell like almost 50% last year.、Um, they're actually sitting out this rally, but the issue being that they use conventional blast furnaces.、Um, Much harder to remain competitive. So maybe it's <laughs> it is as you said about looking at your processes and learning and kind of working out how can we invest to become more efficient. A lot of the industries, and I'll go back to my family business. Ladders used to be made in the United States. For a long time, they were made in Mexico because they didn't automate; they just used cheaper labor. Now, ladders are made largely in China in completely automated factories. So you really have to. Invest. You have to figure out how to do it with the least people possible, and hopefully, the the benefit of the company being stronger creates jobs in other areas. Not you know, we're not going to have a new nation of steel workers. That that seems very unlikely.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, despite what some people are claiming.、Um, so. Aside from steel, there's been angry reactions from steel-consuming industries, which we've touched on.、There's, there are so many.、Uh, we've already talked about construction, auto manufacturers.、Uh, Matt Blunt, who's the president of the American Automotive Policy Council, said we're concerned with the unintended consequences the proposal would have,、uh, particularly that it would lead to higher prices for steel and aluminium here in the United States. Um, and then he goes on to say that you know the U.S. automotive industry supports more than seven million American jobs, and it would put us at a competitive disadvantage. And that's a very fair point to make.、Um, we've seen other calls from the beer industry. Anheuser Busch and Bev's CFO said about two million jobs depend on the American beer industry,、um, and she urges、uh, the Department of Commerce and U.S.、Uh, President Trump to reconsider the impact.、Um, so you can see this kind of very far-reaching general consensus from. Businesses across the board is that this is bad. However, anybody looking at a price increase of any amount is going to be. Yeah, and I, I think it's the companies you haven't heard from. You know, Boeing has been very quiet on this because they, the biggest market for planes is not the United States; it's China. So the last thing they're going to have a cost increase and a country that's buying from them that may not want to take the product. So politically, you can't be for it. You also can't be overly against it. So I think、mm-hmm. there's there's an undercurrent of, you know, absolutely this will benefit certain businesses, but it's going to hurt others, and some will gain one area and hurt another. It's it's very we don't really know exactly how it's going to play out because you know Budweiser says that, but you can buy beer in other fashions. May, you know, <laughs> there's glass bottles. Maybe glass bottle sales maybe plastic, will go, you know. go up. Maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe it's time they figure out how to do a box of beer. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh wow,、uh, that's dangerous.、Uh, I mean, it's 
it's essentially a lot of companies that it's a lot of industries that it's affecting are cyclical too, and that's where another problem layers in. So you've got auto sales are kind of reaching a peak or they're plateauing, and uh, in the heavy heavy machinery industry, it's just starting to see a pickup. So Caterpillar director of investor relations uh, Amy Campbell she said the tariffs would pose a challenge um, and again put Caterpillar at a competitive disadvantage. So all of these industries that feel themselves at kind of a, a very vulnerable position um, are having this added on top of that. And I think you're going to see sort of secondary protectionism measures come of this, that where there's unintended consequences, you know, maybe they'll increase tariffs on importing cars, maybe there'll be a tax break to buy a, a you know a US-made car. But even figuring out what a US-made car is has become very tricky because parts are made here and they're assembled there and you know it's it's very much like omnichannel in retail. It's not pure digital, it's not in store. So, but there's absolutely going to be laws that come about because of this if the tariffs, you know, in fact, go into long-term effect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, we will be waiting to see how this all shakes out. We'll be waiting right here. <laughs> uh, you are not allowed to leave until we find out. Um, but yeah, very interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, it'd be fascinating to see the global reaction to that too, because uh, a lot of the people that will be affected by this are actually allies. You've got South Korea. Uh, we import from and a lot of Europe, European steel too. Um, so. That's it from us today. Uh, if you would like to get in touch, please feel free to email us at industryfocus@full.com or tweet us on Twitter at mfindustryfocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear. Thank you, as always, to the marvelous Austin Morgan for mixing the show. For Dan, I'm Sarah Priestley. Thanks for listening, and Fool on.